time for a Which is the number one chocolate drink? Two pizzas for the price of one. It tastes so wonderful. That's a spicy meat. What we're doing through this good food purchasing program is building transparency in because as the new wave of school food service directors have come into their positions, they're asking a lot more questions about the food that they're buying. Thanks for joining us for The Secret Ingredient, a podcast produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas, that takes you into the depths of food history and production. We won't tell you what to eat, but we can tell you why you're eating it. For KUT, I'm Rebecca McEnroy. And I'm Tom Philpott from Mother Jones Magazine. I'm Raj Patel from the Lyndon Baines Johnson School of Public Affairs. Today's secret ingredient is ethical school meals. Cast your mind back to the time where you were having lunch in school and you you may often have thought that that food was a crime against food, that it was itself unethical. But if it was unethical to put it in your mouth, just think about further downstream. Were the workers who cooked that food well paid? Were the workers who harvested that food well paid? Were the ingredients fairly paid for? Were the chemicals involved in the production of this food? All of this, of course, were various kinds of environmental and social crime that you never even thought about because the food itself was so bad that you didn't want to eat it. Now, today we're going to be talking to Alexa Delwich, who is the executive director of the Center for Good Food Purchasing. Her mission is to make school meals ethical, not just uh, on your taste buds, but all the way from the seed to the dinner plate. Alexa is the executive director, as I say, of the Center of Good Food Purchasing. Previously, Alexa worked as a legislative analyst for the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and a strategic researcher for the United Farm Workers. She's received a long education from the University of California, but perhaps the highlight of her career was a short article called The Profits of Famine, Southern Africa's Long decade of hunger, which she wrote in 2002 when she was my intern at Food First. Uh, Alexa, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, Raj. Thank <laughs> yeah, you no, all I'm, for I'm having me. I'm clearly just being a joke. We'll have to record that afterwards. <laughs> Alexa, perhaps you, we're recording this show because um, it's going to be broadcast uh, as part of our back-to-school season, uh, oh, which uh, a season which will involve precisely one show, which is yours. Um, but... If we kind of think about ethical school meals, Alexa, what should we be thinking about? Why are school meals unethical at the moment? That's a great question, and it really gets to the root of what we're doing with the Good Food Purchasing Program. And at its core, the Good Food Purchasing Program is really focused around transparency and how we can build transparency into our food system, really leveraging the buying power of huge public institutions, and we have a particular focus on school districts because as a public institution, the scale that they're purchasing food at is so huge and so much greater than any other big public institution that we're talking about, at least at the local level. School districts are purchasing over $15 billion worth of food every year through the National School Lunch Program. And Schools are doing a really amazing job with what they're tasked to do in terms of providing students with healthy meals that meet the dietary guidelines for Americans. They have, you know, razor-thin budgets. They have to get healthy and hopefully delicious meals on students' plates every day. They have a lot of challenges in what they're doing, but I think they're doing phenomenal jobs with what they're being asked to do. So what... 
what we're doing through this good food purchasing program is is building transparency in because as uh, sort of a new wave of school food service directors have come into their positions, they're asking a lot more questions about the food that they're buying. Um, with that $15 billion, there's been a huge focus on farm-to-school, local sourcing. A lot of the food service directors are thinking about sustainability. And as the food movement has gotten stronger and stronger and people have you know, been asking many more questions, not just about where is my food coming from, but how is it produced, who's being harmed along the way, food service directors are asking those same questions and they've made really significant strides in some of these issue areas like how to support local economies, how to bring in more sustainable chicken, but they're also really interested in the ideas around how are the workers treated and how are animals treated? What are these ingredients that we're serving our students? How can we do better? And when you start peeling back the layers, often the food service directors don't know where their food is coming from. So what we've done through the Good Food Purchasing Program that started in Los Angeles and was developed by the Los Angeles Food Policy Council, really work with the institutions to peel back those layers, start asking their vendors, their distributors for more information on who their suppliers are. And we developed a set of standards in five different issue areas or value categories, local economies, environmental sustainability, valued workforce, animal welfare, and nutrition. And when we're able to establish that supply chain transparency, we then evaluate the suppliers in the institution supply chain to see how they align with the standards that we've developed. And we've worked so far with the Los Angeles Unified School District and the city of Los Angeles. The city has about seven agencies that purchase food. And we spent a couple of years building in that supply chain transparency because you all know how, how little transparency there is in the food system. So it took a long time to really communicate to the distributors that we didn't want to know just you know, how much food was locally grown. We wanted to know the exact names of the farms and every point of production along the full system so that we could then research the suppliers, understand what attributes they had in their production practices. And I think, long story short, as we've worked with the LA Unified School District, and now we're working with uh, many other school districts across the country, most of the food is coming from a very small number of large food companies, and particularly meats and as well as produce. It's all coming from, you know, just a handful of large companies, many of whom, you know, have fairly uh, egregious track records in terms of sustainability, worker welfare, animal welfare, and, you know, the treatment of, of smaller contract growers in their chains. So what we're doing with the Good Food Purchasing Program is providing a tool, really, for a lot of different stakeholder groups, tools for local coalitions who are really interested in this concept of responsible procurement and more ethical procurement, um, sort of a, a framework that brings a lot of different 
issue areas and um, ideas together to help support priorities that food policy councils, coalitions have, um, and haven't necessarily pieced all together under one umbrella. Um, so it helps to tell a more cohesive narrative around what all of those different priorities are. It's also a tool for food service directors so that they have the transparency and the information that they need to make different purchasing decisions. Um, it helps them measure their progress. It helps them, helps them set new goals in terms of some of these issues that they want to address but haven't been able to, like how do we get product, more products in that support workers or support the environment. It's an accountability tool for elected officials. So school board members, city council, is, they're approving millions and million dollars in food contracts every year, and there are often very few questions asked about who receives these public benefits, um, taxpayer dollars, and it provides them with a tool to start asking tough questions of who their vendors are and how and do they really align with the values of an institution. So that's the long-winded version of, you know, I guess your question around ethical sourcing, but that's that's the bottom, that's the idea. Alexa, I wonder if you might talk us through who a few of these companies are. What are the big companies that are supplying the school lunch program? I think one example to look at could be with LA Unified School District and a recent commodity meat contract. And I'll just take a step back and tell the story of the whole process that occurred in terms of getting this contract approved. I believe it was a $200 million meat contract or commodity food contract, and it was primarily meats, $200 million over five years. And the district's charge that they incorporated into the request for proposal that they issued to vendors was that they're participating in the Good Food Purchasing Program, and they want to be recognized as a five-star good food provider. And in our program, that's the highest level of achievement, and it's pretty rigorous to get to that level. So the onus was on the vendors to respond to how they were going to help the district get to that five-star level. The Center for Good Food Purchasing and the LA Food Policy Council provided a lot of technical support to the district. And one thing I should also note is that sort of a breakthrough that occurred in this proposal process was that the Good Food Purchasing Program was weighted almost equally to price, which is unheard of. Typically, price is the only consideration in these massive contract processes. So we thought that this was going to be a new day for how decisions were made. So fast forward, I think it was we, we helped the district um, with this process for close to a year. Then finally, the food services and procurement division recommended the vendors to the school board. And it was the same names that always pop up. For Turkey, it was Jenny O. For Chicken, it was Tyson and Pilgrim's Pride. And, you know, those are just a couple of examples of the meat companies that are 
serving the majority of school districts with turkey, chicken, and those are two of the animal proteins that are most frequently purchased by school districts. So what happened next was pretty interesting because I think it shows how the power of having both elected officials and community members and coalitions, cross-sector coalitions involved in these procurement processes because five years before this process, the district had a decision before them to approve or not approve a chicken contract for Tyson. And one of the school board members, uh, he's now the board president, Steve Zimmer, took a stand when he was making the decision whether to approve the contract. And he, you know, he'd done his homework and had done a lot of research on Tyson. And he said, you know, I can't approve this contract. I know that there's some really egregious, I know that Tyson has uh, a number of complaints against it, tons of violations in terms of worker health and safety. There have been fatalities. So he fought to try to overturn the contract. He was unsuccessful in his efforts. And then flash forward five years later, there was a coalition of organizations engaged in Los Angeles that they were aware that these um, RFPs and these contracts were going before the school board. And when they saw that the decision, you know, even though the district had adopted a really cutting-edge progressive food procurement policy in 2012, the same decisions were being made in terms of who the vendors were that were going to benefit from, you know, this, these multi-million dollar food contracts. So a coalition of organizations mobilized, and it was led by the Food Chain Workers Alliance, and it brought together animal welfare advocates, sustainability advocates, public health, school food um, there were parents and teachers and students involved. They worked hand-in-hand with the school board to say, you know what, we want something different. We understand that the, there are tremendous constraints that the district's under, that they're buying $60 million worth of chicken over a five-year period. It's a huge volume. Not very many producers can actually meet that large of a demand. I mean, there's a reason why some of these companies are – working with so many of the school districts, they're big and they can meet the meet the demand of the districts. But, you know, the coalition focused specifically on Tyson and Pilgrim's Pride and the chicken contract because, you know, while there may have been other contracts that they weren't happy with, they had to focus their efforts somewhere. And to them, the chicken contract was sort of the poster child of what they wanted to see done differently. So, This coalition really pushed back, and because of the advocacy that they did, um, you know, they sent in many letters to school board members, superintendent, um, you know, food services, talking about their concerns around all of these issues, you know, the contract growing system for poultry farmers and the cycle of dependence that they're under with the system, EPA violations, OSHA violations for workers. I think they documented 11 fatalities over, you know, like a seven-year period in Tyson's supply chain, animal welfare issues, 
some exposés that had recently surfaced around how chickens were being treated, and also the issue of antibiotic overusage. So all of this information was communicated to decision makers within the school district, and ultimately the the contracts were pulled. It was a really complicated multi-month process where the district pulled the recommendations for the vendors and reissued an RFP. And end of story, it was probably a two-year process, but about a third of the contract has now been um, approved. And it was approved to a vendor named Gold Star Foods. They're, they're one of the largest school food distributors uh, in the western U.S., but they were approved to um, serve the district or source about, I think, $20 million in in poultry over the next five years. And they're, they're specifically tasked with buying 100% chicken produced without subtherapeutic antibiotics. It's basically all of the commercial chicken that the district will be buying over the next five years. So Gold Star is a company that a number of members of the coalition had worked with. They felt like the distributor really aligned with the values that were embedded within the Good Food Purchasing Program and were supportive of this particular vendor working with the Food Services Division, coalition members, and the school board to try to create a new model for how chicken would be procured and served to students. When you talk about this idea of transparency, how much of that translates to the consumer of the product? Like how much do children know about what they're eating? How much do parents know about what their kids are being served? And also what motivates these companies besides activism to change their behavior Mm -hmm. and change course? A lot of the school districts are, I mean, as I mentioned before, there, this this wave of farm to school has re- really taken hold. I was at a farm to school conference a couple of months ago, and I think there were 2,000 people there. Many of them were food service directors. They're doing really amazing work. And what's been really interesting to learn, though, is how much they're doing to change the way the school meal system works and really how innovative so many of them are being. But they're not getting very much credit for what they're doing. And so the reason that we've gotten a lot of interest, I think, from food service directors specifically is because, I mean, they're really focused on the values and their values around, you know, all the issues that we've been talking about. But they're also really creative, doing really innovative work, and they're doing some marketing, but they're not getting a lot of recognition for what they're doing. So actually in Austin, there's a really exciting new initiative transpiring that we've been a part of through the city of Austin's sustainability office has been bringing the different institutions together, city departments, the school district, the university, and and more, to start talking about the work that they're doing and how they can work together to make change but also communicate the successes and the achievements that they've already made because, you know, they don't get a whole lot of credit for the good work that they're doing. So a lot of the school districts are um, promoting 
some of the their initiatives. There's a great initiative in California through the Center for Eco Literacy called California Thursdays, and a lot of it's around marketing. That one day a week, there everything on the plate is coming from California producers. And so I would say it's not all by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a lot of attention starting to focus around how to communicate to parents and students what these different issues are, what's being done to support producers and sustainable farmers in the area, but they're wanting to do more and more. Another really exciting example is the work that an organization called School Food Focus is doing. They work with networks of food service directors across the country really to build leadership and develop a platform and unified communication strategies to do a couple things. A lot of their attention is focused on the ingredients of what is in the chicken nugget, what are all the ingredients that are are in these pretty highly processed foods? And they work with the food service directors to identify what needs to change so that they feel proud of the food that they're serving their students and it's as clean and clean label and um, healthy as it can be. So they work with the food service directors to develop some clear standards for what they want to see in terms of the an ingredient list. And then they serve as sort of an intermediary between the manufacturers and the processors and the food service directors, but they aggregate the demands of the food service directors and have sort of a unified voice for the food service directors to get better product um, to their students. But I think a lot of this work is very behind the scenes, And if you weren't sort of embedded in this school food advocacy world, you'd never hear about it. There's a lot being done. A lot of it goes unnoticed, and there's a lot more that Mm -hmm. can't be done. Well, how do people get involved? How do they try to get their school districts to take note of what's happening and, um, and make changes in their own communities? Actually, under the new rules that were just released around the school, the school meal program, this this idea of wellness policies is really important because every school district now has to have um, a wellness committee. So uh, there are really interesting models in cities all across the country for how parents and students and teachers are engaging in issues around school food and, you know, the amount of time that students have to eat lunch and is the cafeteria environment, you know, a healthy place are students given enough time to eat? Do they have water? Is it too noisy? So there are a lot of issues that can be addressed at the local level, but I think the real opportunity then is to unify all of the different activities and issues and challenges that emerge at the local level within each school district and develop a collective voice, both in terms of policy change and what schools want to see from their vendors. Alexa, the thing about the Good Food Purchasing Program is, as you say on your site, that it's kind of a certification program. Uh, think LEED, you say on your website, uh, but right. for food. Um, but the, the trouble with that is that you can have LEED certified buildings filled by idiots 
Um, you know, Goldman Sachs can have LEED certified buildings. Raytheon can have LEED certified. Right. You, you can have um, LEED certification, but the context um, can still be fairly poor. And uh, right. one of the things that, that I'm wondering when you're thinking, when you're talking about building coalitions for change, it's all well and good to have your five-star kale. But if the wages of the people who cook the kale aren't very high, or if there's no way of doing anything good with that kale, then you've got mountains of certifiably good produce that food managers can feel good about, uh, but don't necessarily end up in the bellies of children. I wonder if if you can talk a little bit about, you know, since we are thinking about school meals right now, about how it is that um, the, the, the sort of five-star purchasing policy stitches in with other challenges that all school districts face, like, for example, wages for, for um, uh, workers in, in kitchens. I think that's a really good question. I think one this policy, this program is one tool of many, and I think what it really does is it, it creates a framework and an opportunity. So as different school districts adopt the policy, it then becomes an opportunity for many changes to occur, but it, it's not going to happen. Change will not happen without organizations and advocates demanding the change. And but, so, but does that happen? I mean, I, I, I often and I often make this argument about, well, you know, we have to take we have to start somewhere. So let's do a soda tax right. and then we'll build on to this. Right. And the, but do you see that, you know, that, that sort of ladder? Do you, do you see anyone taking the second step after having instituted the first step? The good food purchasing program emerged out of that concept. So the policy was adopted, but there was no way that anything was going to happen to make sure that the policy was implemented unless there was a structure in place to work with the work with the institution and the food service directors to provide that you know supply chain verification and the technical assistance but then also to stay engaged with coalitions that were involved in different issues around changing the food system not necessarily connected to this particular policy but they are aware that the district has a policy, and then they become the watchdogs and they work. So I think L.A. is a really good example of this, where nothing actually, I mean, I shouldn't say nothing, because developing supply chain transparency is, is a, was a huge undertaking and achievement in itself. But the real opportunity for making change actually occurs when new contracts are coming out. Um, and that only happens every five years or so. I mean, in some school districts and cities, it's, it's more frequently. But there has to be an, a group of organizations watching those timelines to then um, use the policy as a tool to make change. And so I think the Tyson example is really powerful because that happened – three or four years after the policy was adopted. So it's not, the changes won't happen overnight. Um, they're incremental. But I think in L.A., um, the model of having sort of the Food Policy Council and this sort of subset, a coalition involved and continuing to stay in communication with the school board um, having the Center for Good Food Purchasing working with the school district to uh, help them achieve their goals. And uh, so it's, it's 
there are a lot of partners involved um, and yeah so i'm I'm not totally hitting all the points that I think we're I'm hoping to make, but I think it's a tool it's it's an opportunity for uh, I'll give you another example so there was this one one of the distributors of the district um there was a, a campaign to organize the truck drivers, and they were a, di- a food distributor for the school district, and they were, um, you know, they weren't happy about the organizing, and so the, but the Teamsters identified, identified that you know through the district policy, the, the distributor needed to comply with you know, the criteria outlined in the good food purchasing standards that respected freedom of association. And so when, um, and so that was an argument that was made by not only the Teamsters, but other organizations that were supportive of the, the district's stand on, on um, its good food values. And so there were many community members who um, also uh, sent letters and talked to the district, talked to the food services division, and talked to the school board members to say, "Hey, you have a policy around this, and so you need, you know, show us show us what that means." And ultimately, the distributor then um, negotiated a contract with the with the Teamsters. So I, I I'm sort of shortcutting a lot of the nuance there, but I think it's just to say that. It creates opportunity, and um, the implementation is the most important part, and I think that's one of the breakthroughs of the model that we're now working on, because it's not just to get the policy adopted, it's to actually make changes. And, you know, the changes aren't going to happen overnight, and, you know, in the way that the, <clears throat> the standards are structured, the, the benchmarks, the targets, you know, it's 15% sustainable or 15% local, 5% fair. I mean, it's just a tiny fraction of the overall food that these institutions are purchasing, but it's also trying to be realistic about where we're at and um, what the constraints are of the institutions. Um, it's an, It's supposed to be an aspirational program, so if the institution is asked to make, you know, 100% across the board radical changes overnight. They're never going to want to do it. And what we've found is you can get a policy adopted, but if you don't have a champion on the inside with the food service director, nothing will happen. And so it's really about cultivating leaders from within while having um, advocates on the outside supporting supporting the district, supporting the food service directors, um, helping them however they can achieve their goals, but also to be there as um, to monitor the process and to push back when they're not seeing changes being made. So I think it's, it's yeah, the focus is really around the implementation because that's that's the only way that anything will actually change in terms of how, you know, Food, purchase, food purchasing decisions are being made. I don't know if that totally addresses what you were asking. Well, let me keep pushing in, in the yeah. same direction. 
So my understanding is that across the country, school lunch administrators have something like a dollar or maybe a, a dollar and a few cents from the federal government to spend on ingredients. So we're, we're like, like you said earlier in the talk, we're talking about very, very tight budgets. Yeah. And so it didn't surprise me at all when you said that Tyson and Pilgrim's Pride, which are two enormous meat companies, um, right. Pilgrim's Pride is owned by a Brazilian company called um, JBS. And I think JBS and Tyson are the two biggest meat companies in the world. Mm-hmm. And they probably control something like a third of the U.S. poultry market and also huge of chunks of beef and and pork as well. And it doesn't surprise me that these companies step in and get this money from school districts because they know how to turn food out very, very efficiently by, you know, squeezing their workers and their suppliers all down the chain. They know how to profitably squeeze out cheap food. And so I'm wondering, with all these tools that you have in place, are these tight budgets a limit and do we need to see some kind of social movement activism around raising the federal school lunch budget? So Absolutely. where are you with that? We are in the very early stages of where we want to be. There is no way that we can make the changes that we want without higher reimbursement rates for school meals. And the vision here is that we're activating coalitions at the local level, at the national level. We're building coalitions of food service directors. We're getting elected officials at the local level to take a stand for what they want to see and what their values are. And it's all leading towards federal policy change because the food service directors that we're working with right now are doing amazing things with the budgets that they have. But even the school districts that are seen as the leaders across the country, Oakland Unified School District is phenomenal, but still, you know, there's there's a limit to what they're able to do, and eventually they plateau without higher reimbursement rates. So the concept here is really that the local work, the local advocacy, the local unity is what needs to lead to, you know, national federal change. So it's a process of building leadership towards that end goal. I mean, it's not an end goal, but it's it's a much bigger goal than just, you know, school district by school district. It's networking the school districts and all of the partner organizations locally and nationally to have that collective voice. Alexa, this might not be your your focus at all, but I'm wondering if you might be able to address food waste in the school system. Not only looking at what kids are eating, what they're purchasing, but what kids are eating and what's being thrown away. Is there any focus at all on trying to increase quality and reduce waste? I would say with the food waste and with all of this, there are organizations and efforts that are leading the way on all of these issues. And what we've tried to do is bring it all together under one framework, but really point to the leader's we're not leading any of this. I'll give an example. There is a lot of work being done around food waste. I think in plate waste studies and identifying, you know, 20% of the food is, I mean, it's, it's a pretty high, and I don't know the exact number of how much food is actually being thrown away. And so that's, I think, another federal policy opportunity. And a lot of the food service directors want to change the issue of, 
offered versus served and not being able to receive reimbursements unless they give the students you know the number of items on the plate that they have to give in order to get the reimbursement mm. so i think there are there's definitely work being done to to try to change some of these policies that lead to food waste um and then locally a lot of school districts cities are trying to address the plate waste issue um in our standards there are ways that an institution can get more points for implementing food waste but we're by no means like leading anything around that um, but we do encourage it and one thing on that that I was going to say another another constraint that some of the school districts have is that they're buying so much food and they have so much food left that they want to give away through you know like the good samaritan law where they can give away the leftover food and there's no liability in terms of food safety issues or what have you but they're they're they have so much food that many of the food banks and the food pantries don't have the capacity to deal with the volume and so there are uh new nonprofits springing up to try to deal with the distribution challenge of actually dealing with all the food waste that's coming from multiple schools in a city. Alexa, mm-hmm. as children go back to school and their parents worry about what it is that children are eating and, and worrying beyond that about the system that you know, supplies the food that, that the kids get to eat, what are the sorts of things that concerned parents need to be doing to be part of um, moving towards something a bit you know, more sustainable and more just? There are a number of things that I think a parent can do that range anywhere from talking to the cafeteria manager or the food service manager at their school, talking to the principal about what's important to them, sending letters. They can join wellness committees at the schools. They can ask their school board members to develop and adopt a policy around values-based procurement. They can join a food policy council, um, you know, a, a parent who has the ability to spend time on a food policy council. They can ask a food policy council to start working on these efforts. I think it's a matter of communicating that these issues are important either to the school board to the wellness committee, getting involved with a food policy council is a great way. And we actually have one of our really fabulous partners, Real Food Media, is putting, we'll be launching a new website around how parents and students and teachers and advocates in cities across the country can get involved in campaigns around good food purchasing because it's a really exciting moment and opportunity to bring together parents, students, teachers, elected officials, and also advocates um, at the local level and connect up with sort of a national movement around changing the way school food works. Let me just squeeze in one more question, and that is that I noticed from your website, which we'll have a link to on our website soon, that you participate there in L.A. in the Meatless Mondays program. And I wonder if you can talk us through how that's gone over with kids in the cafeteria and if you're using that as a sort of way, if if there's any um, educational opportunity to talk through um, the sort of sustainability of meat production, the way meat is produced in the United States and and things like that. 
From what we've heard from the Food Services Division, they didn't get any complaints about the change that they made. The Humane Society actually does a lot of marketing and programming and education around Meatless Mondays. We haven't done it per se, but Humane Society is working with a lot of school districts across the country to get the message out. And I think that some of the other animal welfare organizations that are working on the campaign and organizations that are focused on more sustainable, less meat, better meat, are definitely working on those marketing strategies. But I think there's still a lot of opportunity to tie it into the classroom and the cafeterias. And the same is true of all of these different issue areas. There's a long way to go. But I think the cafeteria is the best place to start because Students, of course, want to know that the food that they're eating is healthy, but I think when you start talking to them about how workers are treated, how you know farmers are being squeezed, how how the animals are treated, and what this what the impacts are on the environment, I mean that's the the social justice and environmental justice issues are really what get students fired up. So there's a huge opportunity now to take what all of the you know policy advocates and the wonks are talking about around procurement translate into, you know, real talk that students, I mean, students are going to be the ones who really take this to the next level. And, um, you know, if they don't like what they're eating in the cafeteria, because there are these radically new menus uh, coming out with uh, sustainable products that, that it doesn't taste good and they don't want to eat it and they don't know why the changes are being made, then all the work we're doing behind the scenes around procurement is for nothing. So it, it has to be this multifaceted approach where um, everyone is a part of the change. I was wondering what efforts are being made to make sure that the changes that are advocated for by some school districts are implemented across the board? Because I can see a lot of wealthier school districts whose parents might have more time to advocate for their children and might yeah, be more involved right. in their children's health. Um, they can ha- they'd, ha- they'd have time to make these changes, and they would be great food systems in some of the higher-income schools, and right. low-income students would get this subsidized crap that nobody wants right. to eat. So what are the, yeah. what are the efforts um, in that area? That's, uh, that's a great question because, I, I mean, I think that's, that's what is often seen with, with school districts is the, um, exactly what you just said. The, our focus so far, I mean, we're, we're, we're young, but it's really, it is really an equity focus. So the school districts that we're focusing on at this point are the largest ones across the country, but they're also, you know, they have the highest rates of students eligible for free and reduced price lunch. So it's both in terms of scale, but it's also around equity. I think just in terms of our capacity, we can't work with everyone to get the policy and the program implemented. So we're really trying to focus on scale, the equity issue, and then also where there is internal buy-in and leadership. How did you get involved in this project? I was the managing director for the Los Angeles Food Policy Council, and one of my focus areas there was around procurement, and I was the staff person for the working group that developed the Good Food Purchasing Policy, where we brought together you know, a lot of different stakeholders um, with expertise. We had um, labor experts and sustainability, animal welfare. We had 
big food buyers, small food buyers, farmers, distributors, processors, everyone kind of at the same table developing a shared vision and the good food purchasing policy is what emerged from that multi-year process. And I was interested in procurement because of I was really interested in transparency, um, largely because of the work that I did at the United Farm Workers and just understanding how complicated um, the system was and how many layers there were and, uh, you know, subcontracting and no one knows where their food is coming from, the good or the bad. And what I was really interested at the United Farm Workers was, you know, you can't go to a grocery store and know that this head of lettuce is produced and harvested by workers that receive health care benefits. There's no way for consumers to make choices without any transparency. So that was really what led me to focus on procurement at the Food Policy Council. Cool. And you have a kid who eats school lunch? He is only two, so he <laughs> will eat it, but... Right now, I'm just trying to get him to eat some vegetables. So, Alexa, I want you to know that the whole time we were talking to you, Raj and I were devouring a little thing of French fries that <laughs> Rebecca pushed our way. And over on her side of the table, she was eating falafel and hummus and this lovely... I tried to, I tried to push it more towards them. <laughs> yeah, she tried to... She and they were like, did. no, don't yeah. get... No. We and want the fries. We, we completely want the fries. fixated on the French fries, which we have now demolished. <laughs> and I got to say that your right. man Raj, your, your, your mentor... Did most of the damage. They, they were I artisanal there, I would have of, yeah. fully contributed. All in all, it's just a brick in the Alexa Delwich is the executive director of the Center for Good Food Purchasing. You can find more information about her work, along with more on school food purchasing here in Austin, at thesecretingredient.org. On the next episode of The Secret Ingredient, Raj Patel, Tom Philpot, and I will talk with James Beard Award recipient Anna LaPay about spin in the food industry and what she's doing to combat it. Also, congratulations to Raj Patel, who will also be taking home a James Beard Leadership Award this year. Raj, we are so lucky to have you here in Austin and so, so lucky to have you host The Secret Ingredient. Congratulations. Be sure to subscribe to The Secret Ingredient on iTunes, and please leave us a review while you're there. It really helps us out. Our engineer is David Alvarez, who also helped edit this show, and thanks to our wonderful intern, Shelby Hicks, for all that you do to make it happen. For KUT, I'm Rebecca McEnroy, and thank you for listening. Texas music. Texas wines. Texas weather. Texas roadkill. The Typewriter Rodeo, Fridays on the Texas Standard and anytime on your favorite podcast app.